Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, it is good to see everyone today. It's a bit of a different Sunday for us. It's a big church Sunday, so we've got our kids in here with us, at least some of them. So we're going to take a break from Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you're new with us, we've been, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Spoiler alert, not super happy. And we thought it would be best to avoid sending our small ones into their first existential despair uh, and uh, depression in their lives. And so instead what we want to do is we want to talk about something that's really important here at the church. And we want to talk about it almost every chance that we get to, and that's community. It's the value that we have and can find in building relationships with the right people and allowing that to influence our lives in a powerful way. Let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself somewhere or among a certain group of people and you found yourself surprised that you belonged? Perhaps it's a happy surprise, like how cool I belong with this group of people. Or perhaps it's like kind of a frustrating or embarrassing realization, like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm now with these kind of people. Um, I think we all experience it to different degrees at different points in our lives. Um, some cool, some a little bit, you know, just kind of a different life change. I can remember um, the first time I went to uh, the uh, you know, Lowe's Home Depot, uh, the store there, um, after buying a house. And I was there, and I spent like two hours looking at like reviews for lawnmowers and like different tools and stuff. And I looked up, you know, I was in the flow, I looked up and looked around. It was just a bunch of old men, right? They were there checking out hardware and like making their diary list of like what they'd like to purchase, things like that. And, and I was like, oh no, I kind of maybe belong here. Like this is, I don't want to be in this club yet. But this is seemingly where life is heading towards. And, and sometimes it's a, more of a fun realization. Um, uh, the first semester I was uh, invited to be a professor. I remember sitting around um, in the, the offices with the professors who taught me. And, you know, I'm calling them by the first name. And we're joking and telling stories about kids and making fun of them and all the things teachers do. And so he realized, like, oh, wait, like, I kind of belong here. Like, it's a fun, it's an awesome realization. Now, the, the relationships we have in our life is almost always one of the most important things about us. It's going to be one of the most important influences in our life. Who you are today and the story that you have getting to who you are today is largely defined by the people you've met and the impact they've made on your life and who you've chosen to spend time with and who you've chosen to um, connect with and grow a relationship with, things like that. Um, Our relationships are also equally important for our relationship with God. Um, It is often the people who invest in us, the people who pray for us, the people who love us, the people who serve us, the people who we serve, who we pray with. It's those relationships that often have the most influence on our walk with God. Uh, If you were to go and describe your spiritual journey, how you got to where you are today spiritually, I'm guessing it would largely be um, able to be organized, filtered through important people, important influences, relationships that you've formed. What I've come to realize as a pastor is uh, most people, at the end of the day, myself included, when they sit back and and look at like the last decade or so, they they don't think of where they are spiritually in terms of like the best three sermons they ever heard. Like this is what really defines me as a Christian. It was that sermon, and it was that sermon, and it was that sermon. It's usually, it's people. It was this relationship. It was this group of people. It was the time I had serving with this person or that person. 
Now, one of our core values at the church is living in community. We've got a handful of core values, things that motivate us. Um, we consider them the, the type of things that we would keep doing even if it were bad for us, right? Like we're so m- committed to these things that even if attendance went down, even if the money stopped coming in, this is what we feel called to do and to be as a church. And one of those is to foster an environment where people can find community, can find relationships, can come to look around and say, I belong. We belong. This is a place um, where we have found acceptance and welcoming. Um, community, though, is not a static thing. It's something that shifts. The, the goal is constantly moving. Um, and so for the, some of you who've been with us for years, you can think back on various stages of your life or even your life here at the church, and you can see changes in the people who are close to you. Um, sometimes people move away. They get a different job and they move away. Sometimes people grow or grow apart. Um, you, community is not something you figure out and then you can check that box off and say, like, I'm glad that I've got those relationships. We can all probably look back 10, 15 years ago and think who are our closest friends at that moment and then think, for many of us, those probably aren't still the people we talk to every day. Um, life has grown and changed and shifted. And so I think it's always a good reminder for us as a church and for us as individuals in the body of Christ to, to sit for a moment and to think, what's our community like? Where are we plugged in? Where do we belong? What are we doing to create that opportunity for people around us uh, and and be able to move forward in that manner? So let me invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. I want to show you uh, and read with you a couple of stories from the Gospels this morning uh, as we get started. In particular, I'm interested in looking at ways that Jesus interacted with people and the ways that he had a diverse way of interacting with people. So we'll read a story here in Luke 7, and then we'll flip to Mark, uh, just a few pages to the left, and look at a second story to get started here this morning. Um, Luke 7, we'll pick it up in verse 1 and go through verse 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion who had a servant who was sick and at the point of death was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I would not presume to come to you, But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. I said to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Lots of things are interesting about this narrative, and and I just want to focus and zoom in on a couple of them for our purposes this morning. Um, This is what we might call like a long-distance healing from Jesus. There's different ways Jesus interacts with people in the Gospels, different ways he performs miracles. One of the ways he can do this, being Jesus, is long-distance. So he doesn't have to be up close and personal. He doesn't have to be touching someone or in the same room with them to heal them. Um, As I read this story, uh, just you know, trying to come at it completely uh, objectively, just reading it, um, letting uh, details pop out to me as they occur to my brain. I read it, and I find it very interesting that this man allows Jesus to travel almost completely to his house and then sends a, a, a delegate out there to stop him, to say, don't come further. Don't come into my house. 
And he has maybe some noble reasons for this, right? He says, I don't presume that I'm a man you know, worthy to have you come into the house. And he says, like, I understand how authority works too. I get to tell people things from a far distance and it happens. So I know you can do this as well. If I'm Jesus, and I'm not for good reasons, but if I'm Jesus, I'm like, look, I've journeyed a bit, right? I've come a little bit. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to come into your house. Open the door. Let me in. Uh, but he's not invited. And Jesus is okay with this. Jesus is like, yeah, okay. This is great faith. And he says, go back. And they go back in long distance. He'd, he'd healed her. He'd healed the, the servant that the centurion was waiting on. Now, watch a very similar story with some very important differences in Mark chapter 5. In Mark 5, uh, a little bit to the left um, in our Bibles, we have another story where Jesus heals somebody at another person's request. Mark 5, we'll pick up in verse 35. The context to the story is a, uh, someone had already come to Jesus and had asked him to come and heal a girl who was sick. Jesus got into a conversation with somebody else, so his attention was kind of pulled to the side, and then we pick the story back up, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, this is the person who had needed Jesus to come and heal, uh, someone who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? So the little girl that they'd asked healing for had already passed away while these things were occurring. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered it, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then he put them all outside, but taking the child's father and mother and those who were with him, went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithi kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Now the difference is in this story next to the story found in Luke 7. Jesus is invited to somebody's house. Before he gets to make that journey, though, it seemingly goes wrong, right? The request is unable to be fulfilled anymore. Jesus continues to go. He goes, and he doesn't get stopped before he gets to the house. He gets invited in, and he goes in with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And instead of this powerful moment that the centurion's servant received at a long distance in Luke 7, we have a powerful moment being received in a very personal, intimate setting here. The door is open for Jesus. He walks in. He kicks everyone out, all the family and the friends and the neighbors, people around seeing the commotion. And he just takes the mother, and he just takes the father, and he's got his closest disciples, and he goes in to the room where the girl's laying. He takes the girl by the hand, and he brings her back to life. It's a very intimate, very personal relation uh, that's happening here, a very personal miracle healing uh, act that happens here. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus is comfortable relating to people in all kinds of different ways. Um, Jesus is comfortable uh, allowing it to be a complex system of people belonging to him. There are some people who are very close to Jesus, and so they, they travel with him everywhere. I mean, they literally give up their lives, right? And they, they go after him, they follow him. There are other people where Jesus meets in their village, and he preaches to them, and he teaches them, and then they stay there and follow, them, follow him from a distance in their village, just in their everyday life. 
There are others that Jesus really only interacts with at a table. He has this table fellowship where he drinks and breaks bread with people and they laugh and, and tell stories. And he, he relates with them there and then they go their separate ways. There's times where he's invited to come heal someone. And he might do that from the road outside of the house or he might do that from in the very inner part of the house, holding the hand of the little girl who needs to be healed. And his own disciples, Jesus' closest group, his like actual followers, you see this at work as well. There are different levels, if you will, to this. There are different ways people relate to Jesus. There's different types of belonging. Um, so with Jesus, you've actually got a larger structure of 120 people who are part of his like campaign. So they're organized. They're, they're working for Jesus. They go out on these missions um, very intentionally. Within this large group of 120 people, there's a smaller group of 72. In Luke 10, if we were to just keep reading a little bit after that story, you'll see Jesus gathered the 72 together. And he sends them out on mission to go two by two. Now, of course, the disciples we're most familiar with are inside of those 72, and it's a group of 12. A group of 12 men who travel with him pretty much everywhere he goes, he teaches and trains and disciples very personally. And yet even within that 12, there's a smaller group. There's a group of three, Peter, James, and John. And he's much more intimate with these three. He shares more with these three. He teaches more to these three. Peter, James, and John are allowed to um, be around Jesus in in more important moments. Uh, He has a, a closer personal relationship with them. I think that the way Jesus interacts with people and the way that people find various ways to belong to Jesus, provide us a good illustration of how we as the church might find ourselves belonging both to Jesus and to one another. Um, there's two families for Christians that you don't get to choose, um, two, two groups of people, right? Your own family, your biological family, which you obviously don't get to choose because otherwise, why would you be in that group, right? Uh, just me, very lonely up here. Not all of us are best friends with all of our family members. You saints, okay, enjoy your perfect lives. Um, You don't get to choose your family, right? For better or for worse, this is just who you're with. As a Christian, though, you don't also get to choose your, your religious family, your faith family, the body of Christ. Whether you like them or don't, whether they, they make you happy or they kind of annoy you, there's been hundreds and thousands and millions before us. We're going to get to change that. We, we've become a part of this family that's already existed. They've already done certain things. Some of them we're very proud of. Some of them we're not so proud of, just like our own families. And we come into the body of Christ, and we can choose a church, right? And we can choose smaller groups. But again, we don't really just get to organize this from scratch. We come in, and we have to learn how to integrate ourselves into what's already there. And then hopefully, as we mature and we get healthier, we then think about how we might open up space to others, as they come to Christ and as they try to find a place where they belong in the body of Christ. A few years ago, I was was researching and reading about ways that human beings find um, belonging, ways that they experience belonging. They make these significant connections with other people that bring their life's meaning. Uh, And I came across the work of a guy named Edward T. Hall. Um, And he invented a field called proxemics. And basically what he, he did was he was looking spatially And he thought that you could correlate um, the amount of space, the amount of distance between people in a room, and how that affects how culture and communication and personalities develop. Um, And so architects use this. um, This is a concept in real estate. Um, It's also great language for us to use, I think, when we think about belonging and connections. So here's how it works. Um, Zach, I'm going to ask you to come up and be an example. For Edward Hall, there are four different spaces. 
four different places you could be with other people, four different spaces organizations or groups could create to allow connections to happen. And they range from far away with lots of people to really close with only a few people. Um, There are public spaces, there's social spaces, there's personal spaces, there's intimate spaces. And for each one of these, he correlated an actual like spatial range, right? And so we'll go through, we'll start from the closest and we'll go farther away. So I'm standing right here. This is where I am. Uh, The intimate space is your closest space, okay? It's from zero inches to 18 inches across. So Zach's got to get his heels in there. You can tell this is pretty intimate, okay? (laughs) We're face to face. I can smell Zach. I'm a, I'm a half second away from him kissing me on the cheek at any second. It's a very intimate, kind of awkward, okay? You might not know this about Zach, but he hates being close to other people. And so Zach's going to back up just a little bit. And now we come to personal space. This is four feet to 18 inches. We're about four feet apart right now, but we can shake hands. I can give him a little man hug and double tap on the back right there. We can share stories. We can share some secrets, things of that nature. This is our personal space. Zach scoots back a little bit further, and then from 12 feet to 4 feet, this is what he calls public space. I'm sorry, social space. Um, Social space is uh, like more of your acquaintances. So this is where we can interact if we choose to, but we don't necessarily have to. This is where we can tell jokes and kind of get to know each other before we choose whether to go personal or to just go our separate ways. And then beyond 12 feet, 12 feet and farther away, that we're called public space. Um, This is space where you do not have to interact with a person. Um, You can, and you might choose to, but it's not necessary. Thank you, Zach. He's been standing for most of his life, so he's been prepared uh, to be a part of this. Um, And you can think through, I found this very helpful in my own life, to think through the different types of relationships I have. Um, And we'll save intimate, right? Usually people will associate that with their spouse. Um, We'll just look at those three, right? The personal and the social and the public. Um, And there seems to be a ratio for a healthy individual where you have more public connections than you do social. And you have more social connections than you do personal. And again, hopefully you have more personal connections than you do intimate. And you can kind of start to think on your own when you get the ratio off, right? Maybe some unhealthy things develop. Maybe you have no social connections, but you have like 10 intimate ones, right? And things are going to get a little off. Things are going to get a little off kilter. Um, Or in your own life, if you only have public connections, and you have no social and personal relationships, you're probably going to feel a little bit like you're missing out on something. But there's something to, to still be had. Um, you're not going to be, I think, as able to flourish as a human being in the way God desires as one would otherwise. Um, so I want us to think through these three spaces very quickly uh, together. Um, for, for Edward, we'll start with the public. Um, 12 feet or more away, this does not necessarily mean that you're surrounded by a 12-foot bubble that no one comes into. It's just an indication that you could get 12 feet away from someone if you chose, right? You're not forced to be around people. This is where you interact with almost complete strangers. You don't know a lot of people in public spaces. Think about a grocery store. Um, Think about a concert. Think about a sporting event, things like that. Um, But yet, even in these public spaces, you make important connections with people. Um, They're not very personal, and they're not very long-lasting, but they're still significant. They still mean something to people. They still give people uh, an important part of life, an important way to develop um, as they make acquaintances in these public spaces. You perhaps experience it like this. If you've ever been to a sporting event or a concert, and before you know it, you are in close proximity and bonding without thinking with complete strangers. Um, 
I had the ability to go to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals last year, the Rockets and the Warriors, and it was crazy. We were up most of the game. It looked like we were about to go to the Finals to take down the Warriors. It looked like God was about to come through and bring justice to the world of the NBA. And at the height of it, around halftime, beginning of the third quarter, it went south in the second half, if you remember the game. But there's so much energy in the building that you are high-fiving everyone in your section, right? And like, if you get too carried away, you don't think about it, you're giving someone a hug. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's a stranger. But this is, we're all in this together, right? We're experiencing this together. Or if you've been to a concert, right? You might be shoulder to shoulder with certain people. And then you might find that you develop a weird sort of like temporary relationship with those people. Um, I went through a phase as a kid where I was a, a metalhead. Um, I, I started listening to heavy metal, going to heavy metal concerts because I have to, to do what I look like, right? People see me and they're like, that's a guy who likes metal. Um, <laughs> I'll go to some concerts and, and, you know, I don't know if you know this, people who, who do hard rock and metal, they have these like mosh pits in the middle and you go and you throw yourself in and get hurt and it's a lot of fun. And you, you can't really go and not experience that. And so we had these concerts with some of my buddies and, and I'd go into this, this pit and it's these very large men um, throwing themselves around. Um, a lot of people get it hurt and things of that nature. And I have a little bit of anxieties, okay, and some nervousness. And I was a little worried about um, getting in there. But you're young and invincible. And what I found, though, inside of those mosh pits was a weird community. Like a very weird, but very close-knit community where those people, you belong. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter whether you're big or small, whether you're old or young you're in there and you're in there with them. And for that moment, for whatever brought you there, right, you're all in this together. And it, it is a dangerous place. You fall down. If you fall down and you don't get up fast enough, you can start to get stepped on. And, and people do, unfortunately, get hurt every now and then. And so there's this unspoken rule, right? You kind of get brought in that like if someone goes down, everyone around them stops immediately and grabs that person and gets them up as fast as possible. And you take care of one another, right? Because you kind of hope people would do that for yourself as well. Um, these are the kind of connections that happen in public spaces. They're the stories that you remember. They're the, the times where it's that face that you maybe can't draw anymore, and you definitely don't have a name for it, but you remember that moment where you're all connected and something meaningful happened. In a church setting, this would be like a worship service. This would be our 12 feet or more, right? In a worship service, even a small church like ours, you can come— and you might not know everyone. There will be strangers there. And you'll come, and maybe you'll know people just by names. And maybe you'll just have a couple memories of short interactions with people. But what we found is that that can be significant. That can be meaningful for certain people. As a pastor, you want to see people really come in close in a church, right? And so um, for someone who, like a couple who's only come to service and they come a handful of times a year, you, you might think like, oh, I wish they would come more and get to know more people and come to like a small group and get more involved. And then I've been surprised over and over again to find out that the church, even in just those public settings, is very meaningful to them. They feel a sense of belonging, and that belonging influences them and helps them grow in their relationship to God. We've had people here at the church move to different states, and if you were to ask them even to this day, they'd say, Sweetwater Christian Church, that's my, that's my church. That's my home. I haven't been in seven years. If I won't know a third or fourth of the people who are there anymore, it's changed. And they'd probably use the wrong name, First Calling Christian Church. So there's a name change. They haven't been initiated yet. But it's still meaningful to them. Public space. We all need those connections. And then you can move to social spaces. It's like the small talk of community. This is the acquaintance period. Um, for Edward, it's from like 12 feet to, to 4 feet. Um, and sometimes we think of small talk as like superficial. 
and we kind of denigrate it, right? Like it's kind of a waste of time. Um, I went to Kenya uh, seven, eight years ago, and, and Kenyans don't, at least the Kenyans I was with, they didn't know what small talk was. There was not real small talk. You introduce your names, and then it was like your gravest, deepest secrets, right? And what was going on, your plans in life. And there was something special about that, but there's also something I feel like you kind of lose a little bit if you don't have that space um, for small talk. You can kind of think of the social zone of relationships as the front porch of a house. Now, this used to be a big thing in our culture, not so much anymore, but the front porch used to be where you could interact with the outside world in a way that's more personal than just strangers on the street, but not too personal with them inside your house, or definitely not in the intimate room of your bedroom, right? It's a, it's a safe zone where you can get to know someone. You can tell some jokes. You can ask for favors, things of that nature. And that space, that front porch space, is very important for relationships. Not only can you have fun interactions there that are meaningful, that are influential in your life, but that porch space creates a place where you can safely select other people to come inside the house. That's, that's a space where you can interact with people and you get to kind of present the image of yourself you want to present, and they get to present the image of themselves they would want to present. And then in a personal space, that gets broken down, right? You get to learn more about people. But then you can see like, okay, we have the same interests. Maybe you want to come inside and check out my, my collection over here. You want to come inside and watch this movie or whatever. You have a, a zone where you can see who I might go deeper with or who I might be like, okay, actually onto the street for you. You're off my porch. This is a, a social zone. Um, uh, examples of this in the real world would be like a group that goes out to eat together or a group that goes out to go bowling together, uh, things of that nature, right? This is a safe place. You're close with people. You can get to know them if you'd like, right? But you're not stuck with them, right? There's still some comfortable distance. And these are just as important, I think, through Jesus' table fellowship ministry and all the people that I'm sure Jesus impacted in a profound way, simply breaking bread. They weren't having to think about coming into Jesus' house and they weren't having to think about cleaning their house to get Jesus to come in. They met him at the table, and there they found change. There they found God. At a church, uh, a social space like ours would, would be maybe like a lunch that we might go out to. Do this one, about once a month, or a potluck they might hold after a service, or some social events that we throw every now and then. The guys will get together, and they'll go bowling or something like that, and the girls will get together, and they'll do something. This is, these are the social spaces where you can um, test the waters, where you can get to know new people, and you can build newer and deeper friendships. And then you have your personal space. Personal space is where you share private experiences and private thoughts and private feelings. It's where you feel safest. It's the people around you that you can trust. Everyone hopefully has at least a handful of these people. I think you're probably missing out if you don't, right? If you don't have that that person in your life, that friend or that group of friends, you can say like, I know I present this image of myself socially and publicly, but this is what's really happening. This is what I'm really struggling with. This is what I really need help with. In personal space, this is where you can be confronted by someone who you know loves you, has your best interests at heart. Personal space where you can kind of confront somebody else. You can have the harder, more important discussions um, that often uh, make a big difference in our lives. At a church, this would be like a small group, a community group, which can often like stand between social and personal, but the goal, I think, would be for it to eventually be personal. You go to a small group and you feel like you can trust these people. You can share with these people. You can ask them and rely on them to pray for you and to serve you and things of that nature. Now, what's key, I think, is recognizing that all of these different spaces are important. Churches sometimes go wrong by trying to make everybody come to one type of space. 
And that's uncomfortable for different people. And people have different needs in different parts and different times of their lives. You've certainly been in the store where the salesman was in your intimate space. And you were preferring he was in your public space. And you've certainly probably also had a social acquaintance that you had hoped for a deeper friendship with. And for whatever reason, they just kind of remained on the kind of outside circle. You've experienced this on both ends. And human beings are pretty good at actually like um, conforming space in our, our minds, you know, explaining it away. So uh, like you go to the doctor and the doctor might be in your intimate space. But with your, your mind, you're able to go, okay, well, it's a doctor. Right? Not everyone's allowed to look at this or do this, right? But there's rules. It's a public setting. This is all set up to be okay. So I'm all right with this. Zach is standing with me right there. We don't stand that close in real life. But we're able to do it because, okay, Mike's giving a sermon. If I don't do this, he's going to make fun of me. And so I just need to, to get this over with. We're able to kind of work this out. But yet all of us, I think, need to at some times, at certain times, evaluate where we are. Do I, feel, do I feel comfortable? Do I feel satisfied with my public relationships, with my social relationships, with my personal relationships? And at times, people might have their social and personal relationships more than filled. And they come to the church and they just really need that public space to be filled in a meaningful way. And there's times where people have the public space and social space and they show up at the church and they really just need someone to confide in. They really just need those close friends who will come around them immediately and support them. And you and I have probably all found ourselves in one of these different spaces as we've come to the church and and lived our lives in other contexts and other places. And we've probably also found, right, as we grow, as we move, as life changes, our needs change. So maybe you, you really had a need for a bunch of personal connections. And then as your family grew a little bit, and your schedule got a little more tight, you know, it's a little bit more social. Maybe you have a hard time really getting to a personal space with people, and so you need that public and that social space to be strong. You need to invest a lot of time there first. A healthy human being, a healthy Christian, I think, has harmony and a healthy belonging in all of these, these different places. Um, true community is found in, in all of them. Um, and so I think it's helpful for us to, to ask this question. I, I ask this question myself often. Um, what do my spaces look like? What do my relationships look like? Do I have this handful of close friends who I can, who I can call personal, who I can trust, who I can share, who will go with me into that, that fire, into that battle? At times, maybe I feel like, okay, it's a little bit too much. It's hard to keep up with, with all of those. And at times, maybe it's a little too less. I need, I need another. And knowing that, I can then lean in in appropriate ways, right? I can go check out my 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 pool to select from my social group. Like, who might I want to invite in? And then we can look at our social space and, and think through the connections we have there. Am I bored? Because it's the same six people? Or is it too chaotic? Is it 35 people and it would feel much more comfortable? This is more public than it was social. I think it's a good idea to to look around us, to evaluate our own lives and see what's there. And then as Christians and as mature Christians and maturing Christians, it's important to then think about how we might invite others. It's one thing to find a place where you belong. It's another thing to work hard and be intentional to make sure where you belong is a place where others can also belong. So we have to ask ourselves those questions. If it's a little clickish, 
Is there a circle closed off? Are we, are we making sure that there are circles? Even if not this circle, there are other circles for people to, to come in and find these meaningful connections with. Like we, we started today saying our relationships with people are, are often the most influential things about our lives. When we find we have these very fulfilled relationships, I think we find ourselves growing and being challenged and maturing. And then when we find ourselves without these relationships or we find ourselves closing the ability for others to form these relationships, we start to shrink. We start to shrivel as, as humans, as Christians. And so here's the, the question. Here's the invitation this morning. is just to sit back and maybe take some time today or throughout the week and to think through uh, the, the circles that you run in. Um, to think through what um, circles you might want to lean deeper into or you might want to create space for other people to come into. Um, and, you know, at the church, we, we try to offer things for all of these. Right? We've got the community groups and the small groups. We've got um, the social spaces, um, the book club that you can come to, um, lunches and things like that. We, we have public spaces, these worship services and other things like that where you can come and get connections. And, and it's helpful sometimes to sit back and to think, okay, where should I lean? Where, where am I being called to go in this, this time in my life um, to grow and to mature and to develop? And then, like I said, the, the next question, perhaps a little bit harder, is what am I doing or can I be doing to create a space, to foster space for other people to belong? How might other people find personal friendships in our community, in my life? How might other people find some social friendships, some public friendships? And sometimes that means you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to be vulnerable a little bit. I was reading a psychologist, and he gave this advice. He said, um, for those who feel lonely and have a hard time connecting with other people, he said, the number one advice I can give someone in my office is ask someone, ask a stranger to do you a small favor. He was like, because something really powerful happens, something real psychological shifts as soon as you ask for that small favor. So say you just moved into a house. Um, I don't know if you like know all your neighbors and the parties together and all those kind of things. I'm the type of person who can live somewhere and then six years later not know the name of my neighbor next door, right? I'm not proud of it. It's just how I am. And he says, look, go to your neighbor's house and ask for an egg. You don't even need the egg. That's not the point, right? Just ask for an egg. And then you learn something about that person. They might say, no, slam the door in your face. Okay, go to the next neighbor. <laughs> Try again. Or they might be warm, hospitable. They might want to learn your name. They might be eager to help. He says, even more important, though, than that person helping you is what you've created. You've put on yourself a social debt. You've created this space where now that person feels more comfortable asking for you, uh, a favor from you. So next time they need something, hey, you check the mail while I'm out of town. Hey, do you have any flour? Then they can come to you. All of a sudden, right, you've fostered the space for a meaningful relationship to occur. Now notice that what that takes, though. That takes you being vulnerable. It takes you not sitting back and just going, oh, I'm lonely, I don't know my neighbors. And saying, well, put myself out there. And I'll do what I can, not to force, right? But to, to open space up. And here's a front porch. You can come talk to me on it if you'd like. If not, that's fine. You're on the front porch, maybe, maybe we'll go inside. If not, that's fine as well. But I'm doing what I can to offer uh, the, the ability to belong to the people around me. So we belong here at, a, at our church and as Christians in the body of Christ because Christ has welcomed us. And we seek to help others belong uh, with us as well 
um, because of the same reason. The hostility that has been shown to us, that will be shown to us in just a minute at the table, or welcome once again every week, um, is the motivating factor um, for why we might work so hard and be so intentional about setting up these spaces for other people. So this week, think about this. Where are you in your relationships? Are there places in the church where you can lean in? And then where are you? Where are we as a church in, in creating those spaces for other people? 